Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Camp of the Dog by Algernon Blackwood. Part 2 read by Charles Blakemore. Whether Mrs. Maloney's tent door opened south or east, I think she never discovered, for it is quite certain she always slept with, with the flap tightly fastened. I only know that my own little five-by-seven all-silk faced due east, because next morning the sun, pouring in as only the wilderness sun knows how to pour, woke me early, and a moment later with a short run over soft moss and a flying dive from the granite ledge, I was swimming in the most sparkling water imaginable. It was barely four o'clock, and the sun came down a long vista of blue islands that led out to the open sea and Finland. Nearer by rose the wooded domes of our own property, still capped and wreathed with smoky trails of fast-melting mist, and looking as fresh as though it was the morning of Mrs. Maloney's sixth day, and they had just issued clean and brilliant from the hands of the great architect. In the open spaces the ground was drenched with dew, and from the sea a cool salt wind stole in among the trees and set the branches trembling in an atmosphere of shimmering silver. The tents shone white where the sun caught them in patches. Below lay the, the lagoon, still dreaming of the summer night. In the open the fish were jumping busily, sending musical ripples towards the shore. And in the air hung the magic of dawn, silent, incommunicable. I lit the fire, so that an hour later the clergyman should find good ashes to stir his porridge over, then set forth upon an examination of the island. But hardly had I gone a dozen yards when I saw a figure standing a little in front of me where the sunlight fell in a pool among the trees. It was Joan. She had already been up an hour, she told me, and had bathed before the last stars had left the sky. I saw at once that the new spirit of this solitary region had entered into her, banishing the fears of the night, for her face was like the face of a happy denizen of the wilderness and her eyes stainless and shining. Her feet were bare, and drops of dew she had shaken from the branches hung in her loose-flying hair. Obviously, she had come into her own. "'I've been all over the island,' she announced laughingly, "'and there are two things wanting.' "'You're a good judge, Joan. What, what, what are they?' "'There's no animal life, and there's no water.' They go together, I said. Animals don't bother with a rock like this unless there's a spring on it. And as she led me from place to place, happy and excited, leaping adroitly from rock to rock, I was glad to note that my first impressions were correct. 
she made no reference to our conversation of the night before. The new spirit had driven out the old. There was no room in her heart for fear or anxiety, and nature had everything her own way. The island, we found, was some three-quarters of a mile from point to point, built in a circle, or wide horseshoe, with an opening of twenty feet at the mouth of the lagoon. Pine trees grew thickly all over, but here and there were patches of silver birch, scrub oak, and considerable colonies of wild raspberry and gooseberry bushes. The two ends of the horseshoe formed bare slabs of smooth granite running into the sea, and forming dangerous reefs just below the surface. But the rest of the island rose in a forty-foot ridge and sloped down steeply to the sea on either side, being nowhere more than a hundred yards wide. The outer shoreline was much indented with numberless coves and bays and sandy beaches, with here and there caves and precipitous little cliffs against which the sea broke in spray and thunder. But the inner shore, the shore of the lagoon, was low and regular, and so well protected by the wall of trees along the ridge that no storm could ever send more than a passing ripple along its sandy marges. Eternal shelter reigned there. On one of the other islands, a few hundred yards away, for the rest of the party slept late this first morning and we took to the canoe, we discovered a spring of fresh water untainted by the brackish flavor of the Baltic, and having thus solved the most important problem of the camp, we next proceeded to deal with the second, fish, and in half an hour we reeled in and turned homeward, for we had no means of storage and to clean more fish than may be stored or eaten in a day is no wise occupation for experienced campers. And as we landed towards six o'clock, we heard the clergyman singing as usual and saw his wife in Sangri shaking out their blankets in the sun, and dressed in a fashion that finally dispelled all memories of streets and civilization. The little people lit the fire for me, cried Maloney looking natural and at home in his ancient flannel suit and breaking off in the middle of his singing, so I've got the porridge going, and this time it's not burnt. We reported the discovery of water and held up the fish. Good, good again, he cried. We'll have the first decent breakfast we've had this year. Sangreal will clean them in no time, and the bosun's mate. We'll fry them to a turn, laughed the voice of Mrs. Maloney, appearing on the scene and a tight blue jersey and sandals, and catching up the frying pan. Her father always called her the bosun's maiden camp, because it was her duty, among others, to pipe all hands to meals. And as for you, Joan, went on the happy man, you look like the spirit of the island, with moss in your hair and wind in your eyes, and sun and stars mixed in your face. He looked at her with delighted admiration. Here, Sangri, take these twelve, there's a good fellow. They're the biggest, and we'll have them in butter in less time than you can say Baltic Island. I watched the Canadian as he slowly moved off to the cleaning pail. His eyes were drinking in the girl's beauty, and a wave of passionate, almost feverish joy passed over his face, expressive of the ecstasy of true worship more than anything else. Perhaps he was thinking that he still had three weeks to come with that vision always before his eyes. Perhaps he was thinking of his dreams in the night. I cannot say. 
but I noticed the curious mingling of yearning and happiness in his eyes, and the strength of the impression touched my curiosity. Something in his face held my gaze for a second, something to do with its intensity. That so timid, so gentle a personality should conceal so virile a passion almost seemed to require explanation. But the impression was momentary, for that first breakfast in camp permitted no divided attentions, and I dare swear that the porridge, the tea, the Swedish flatbread, and the fried fish flavored with points of frizzled bacon were better than any meal eaten elsewhere that day in the whole world. The first clear day in a new camp is always a furiously busy one, and we soon dropped into the routine upon which, in large measure, the real comfort of everyone depends. About the cooking fire, greatly improved with stones from the shore, we built a high stockade consisting of upright poles thickly twined with branches, the roof lined with moss and lichen, and weighted with rocks. And round the interior we made low wooden seats so that we could lie round the fire even in rain and eat our meals in peace. Paths, too, outlined themselves from tent to tent from the bathing places and the landing stage, and a fair division of the island was decided upon between the quarters of the men and the women. Wood was stacked, awkward trees and boulders removed, hammocks slung, and tents strengthened. In a word, camp was established, and duties were assigned and accepted as though we expected to live on this Baltic island for years to come, and the smallest detail of the community life was important. Moreover, as the camp came into being, this sense of community developed, proving that we were a definite whole and not merely separate human beings living for a while in tents upon a desert island. Each fell willingly into the routine. Sangri, as by natural selection, took upon himself the cleaning of the fish and the cutting of the wood into lengths sufficient for a day's use, and he did it well. The pan of water was never without a fish, cleaned and scaled, ready to fry for whoever was hungry. The nightly fire never died down for lack of material to throw on without going farther afield to search. And Timothy, once reverend, caught the fish and chopped down the trees. He also assumed responsibility for the condition of the boat, and did it so thoroughly that nothing in the little cutter was ever found wanting. And when, for any reason, his presence was in demand, the first place to look for him was in the boat, and there, too, he was usually found tinkering away with sheets, sails, or rudder, and singing as he tinkered. Nor was the reading neglected. For most mornings there came a sound of droning voices from the white tent by the raspberry bushes, which signified that Sangri, the tutor, and whatever other man chanced to be in the party at the time, were hard at it with history or the classics. And while Mrs. Malone